Hello and welcome back to the Lone Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Porter, and today I just wanted to record a short but hopefully impactful episode to kick off the weekend. So I am recording and hoping to upload this on a Friday, which I don't usually do, but I have been a bit slow with the podcast lately. And the reason why is I've kind of slowed down a bit to work on my mental health. (laughs) Um, If you remember in the very, very first episode, I talked about mental health and the importance of taking it seriously. And so I have listened to my own advice and I have gone back to therapy, which has been challenging, but also rewarding. Um, Those of you who go to therapy can probably resonate with that, that it is hard work, but good work. Um, So this is just a transparent, vulnerable reminder that prioritizing your mental health is important. And if no one has told you that today, um, let me be the one to tell you that. So anyway, that is why I've kind of slowed down a bit with the podcast and I haven't uploaded as early in the week as I usually do, but I still wanted to get something out. And so I have been sitting on this idea for a while, but before I dive into the meat of the episode, I want to give my brief plug that I always do. (laughs) And I want to remind you that you can follow me on Instagram at lonewolvesclub.pod. That is a great way to keep the conversation going. I often upload, you know, little clips from episodes that you can share, just clips that I found impactful and you might find impactful. So feel free to share those. Um, I also have an email. You can email me at lonewolvesclubpod at gmail.com. That is a great place to give me any feedback or share any thoughts with me. Maybe a particular episode really resonated with you, and I'd love to hear that. Or maybe you have ideas for a future episode. Maybe there are topics that you don't hear about in your Christian community too often, and you would like to hear my take on it or open up, open it up to our community to talk about. Um, so you can get in touch with me there. But anyway... We are going to dive into unpacking superstitions in the church because I think the church kind of holds on to a lot of superstitions, and I'm going to unpack what I mean by that. Um, but yeah, I, ultimately, I wanted to get this episode out too because I believe what I share in this epi- episode is going to set a lot of people free from the kind of thinking that you can get sucked into in Christian communities. Um, And again, I'm going to explain what I mean about that um, here in a second. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this short and sweet, but hopefully very impactful episode. All right. So as the title of this podcast episode states, there are a lot of superstitions within the church and Christian communities. Some churches and communities hold on tighter to superstition than others, but those superstitions are still present. Again, just a quick disclaimer to say not all churches are superstitious or have the kind of superstitions that I'm going to talk about in this episode, 
But I personally have been to quite a few churches in America and abroad, and most have held on to some common superstitions. So allow me to unpack what I mean by superstition and offer you a different perspective if you have also held on to these common church superstitions. All right, so according to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of superstition is a widely held but unjustified belief in supernatural causes leading to certain consequences. So, what are some examples of superstitions held in the church? Well, a commonly held but often unjustified superstition or belief is that someone must have sinned in order for something bad to have happened to them. This looks like a lot of different things. It can be when you find out that someone in your church has been disabled since birth, and the common thought might be that someone in their family must have committed some terrible sin for them to be born disabled. You may think that this example is extreme, but we actually see an example of this in the Bible when Jesus heals a man who was blind since birth. If you're unfamiliar with that passage, it comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and it goes like this. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So this man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now, interestingly enough, the disciples bring up the belief that someone must have sinned, either the blind man or his mother or father, in order for him to have been born blind. This idea most likely came from the curse that God would put on anyone who worshipped idols or false gods. This curse is seen in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, when God gives Moses the second commandment about creating false gods. And it goes like this, just for a refresher. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the only Ten Commandments, interestingly enough, that carries a curse, and God expands upon this curse for creating false gods in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and chapter 28. So, this verse in Exodus can potentially point to why the disciples held on to the superstition that either the man or his parents must have sinned for him to be born blind, 
because there was clearly a correlation between sin and punishment, even punishment for children. And again, this curse was mentioned in a few books of the Torah, like Exodus and Deuteronomy. So, as Jewish people, the disciples of Jesus would be familiar with the second commandment and the curse that would follow if it was broken. So, that is why they ask him, who sinned? But Jesus answered that no one sinned. And as it says in John, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, talking about the blind man. So, it's interesting that Jesus clearly states in this verse that no one sinned in order for the man to be born blind, overturning an Old Testament notion that sin equals divine punishment from God. However, I feel like many Christians don't share this same mindset that Jesus had, and instead many Christians cling to the idea of superstitions, especially when it comes to trying to explain why tragedy has befallen someone. Now, I don't find that this is a helpful mindset to have because I personally, and I'm sure many of you listening, have experienced someone trying to explain a tragedy that happened in your life with superstition. And by that, I mean that I, as someone who has a chronic illness that I've had since birth, has sat through many, many sermons where various pastors have said that if you are not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. I've heard so many pastors spin a variety of that superstition. I've heard pastors say that if you are in need of healing for any ailment, you are already healed. You just need to believe it. I've heard some pastors quote the verse from Isaiah that says, By his stripes we are healed. And they love to hone in on the verb choice in that scripture, which is present tense. We are healed. Not that we have been healed or we will be healed. We are healed. So, since you are presently actively healed by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you just need to believe in it in order to be cured of whatever ails you. I know, of course, pastors don't intend to be insulting or insensitive when they say things like this, but I find it hard to not be insulted by the superstition they hold on to that I just haven't been healed yet because I don't have the faith enough to believe that I already am healed. And this line of thinking doesn't sit well with me because I think it's opposite from the mindset that Jesus has when it comes to healing and faith. A favorite passage of mine regarding healing is in Mark chapter 9, where a man comes to Jesus asking him to heal his son that was possessed by an evil spirit. He tells Jesus, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. Jesus answers the Father, If you believe, all things are possible for him who believes. Then the Father replies, I believe, help my unbelief. In this passage, we see that Jesus tells the Father, If you believe, he didn't shame the Father for not believing enough. He didn't tell him that his son is already healed. He just needs to believe it in order for it to be true. He meets the father who is struggling to believe at the level of his faith and says, if you can, 
believe. And the father answers honestly, I believe, help my unbelief. I take his answer to show that while he does believe, he also has some doubts, which I think is normal when it comes to faith. We can believe, but we can also have doubt, and that doubt doesn't cancel out our faith. I mean, how many times did the disciples doubt that Jesus could do what he said he could do, even after they saw him perform miracle after miracle? How many times did the Israelites doubt that God was with them even after he parted the Red Sea and appeared to them as a cloud guiding the way by day and a pillar of fire guiding the way by night? Even though the heroes of faith from the Bible saw such supernatural and miraculous events time after time, they still doubted. So I think that doubt is the other side of the coin of faith. In essence, you can't have one without the other. And I think that's healthy because I don't think God wants us to follow him blindly. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't have given us the free will to choose anything other than him. In fact, I think that doubt sharpens your faith because, like my friend Logan and I talked about in the last episode, if you aren't exposed to anything else, how do you know if your faith is genuine? If you have only been exposed to Christianity and you have not been allowed to consider another guiding force through this world or the idea that maybe there's nothing at all guiding us through the world, how do you know that your faith is your own and not just a product of your parents, your culture, or your society? I think it's when you have to wrestle with your doubts and choose to press into your faith anyway that your faith becomes stronger. So, I think it's insulting for pastors to, cl- to declare that if you haven't been healed from an illness yet, it's because you lack faith. As if lacking faith is a defect of some kind, when I think it's actually the most human and the closest to God that you can be. And I do recognize that sometimes when people are faced with someone else's tragedy, they don't know what to say. People don't know what to say when someone hasn't been healed after years of prayer and seeking God. People don't know what to say when a baby dies. People don't know what to say when someone is born blind. And I think the most common thing we do as humans is blame ourselves for any error. We all know we're our own worst critics, and so I think when something doesn't go as people expect, then the most logical conclusion is to blame yourself or others. If you haven't been healed yet, it's because your faith is weak. If your baby died, it's because you didn't pray hard enough. If you are born blind, it's because you or your parents must have sinned. You see what I mean? In fact, recently I heard a story from Abby Stumball, who is the co-host of the Connected Life podcast, one that I really enjoy listening to because she and her husband, who is her co-host, approached Christianity with a really refreshing approach. I think you should give it a listen. 
But anyway, Abby has shared before in previous episodes that she has a chronic illness. She has psoriasis, and it is so intense that it causes painful arthritis. She has had this illness for years, and she's only in her 30s, so it's been an extremely painful journey, both emotionally, physically, mentally, and probably spiritually too, to figure out what is going on with her body. She's had to go on really extreme diets to kind of reduce the inflammation in her body. She had to fly to Spain to see a doctor who specialized in the kind of pariasis that she had. Like, it hasn't been an easy journey for her. So anyway, she shared in one episode that she had an incredibly hard conversation with the lead pastor of her church. She was also on the pastoral team at this church, and one day the lead pastor approached her and said, Abby, I think I know why you haven't been healed yet. Now, I'm just going to say, if you ever find yourself walking up to someone and saying, hey, I know why you haven't been healed yet, just don't, please. (laughs) Because you are not God and you don't know the mystery behind why some people are healed and others aren't. Only God knows, right? Anyway, when he approached Abby about this, of course, she asked him why he thinks she hasn't been healed. And he answered, well, you have a reputation. She was taken aback by that, understandably, and asked him what kind of reputation she had. He replied, you have a reputation for not wanting to be a mother. And I think if you would just ask God to heal your maternal instincts, your illness would be healed as well. Now, Abby has put off having children and has shared that she will probably never have children because of her chronic illness, because she lives in such debilitating pain that the thought of taking care of herself is hard enough, let alone taking care of a child. And I really resonated with that because um, I won't have children for the same reason, Um, but that's an episode for another day. I'm actually planning one where I'm going to kind of deep dive into the... uh, you know, stigma that every woman needs to be a mother. But anyway, that's for another day. Anyway, I can't imagine the pain of someone that you trust, a leader in your church, someone you work on the same team with, coming up to you and saying that you have a reputation because that implies that other people have been talking about you behind your back and assuming things about you. Like how they assumed that Abby just doesn't want to have children, not understanding that her illness is what's keeping her from having children. And then on top of that, he tries to explain her chronic illness away by hanging on to the superstition that you must have done something in order to be sick. That because you can't heal your maternal instincts, you are doomed to live with a chronic illness. It sounds intense, but that's basically what he said. So that was a really extreme example, but I shared it to show that this is the reality for some Christians in their communities, that some people, and I know some of you listening can probably relate to this, unfortunately, some people have been shamed or made to feel like something is wrong with them because tragedy has befallen them. It's kind of like the other superstition that people hold on to that I also think isn't helpful. 
which is the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't know where that phrase originated from, but I have heard it a lot in Christian communities, and I'm sure many of you have too. Some of you may have even had this phrase said to you in the wake of life's hardships. The reason why I don't like this superstition either is because it's just not true. My chronic illness at times has felt like more than I can bear. Not that I wanted to die or end my life, but sometimes when I wake up in the morning feeling the symptoms of my illness, it's hard to think that I'm going to wake up feeling this way for the rest of my life. That feels unbearable to me sometimes. But I manage it by going to therapy, leaning on God, my friends, my family. I also think sometimes about what would happen if my husband were to pass away before me. And that would also be unbearable to me. I mean, even thinking about it now makes me want to tear up. And I know that people live with illnesses that are way worse than the one I live with. I know people have lost loved ones. I know that people have gone through hardships that are just straight out of hell, to be honest. So no, I don't hold to the superstition that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. In fact, one of my favorite verses is from John chapter 16, verse 32. It goes like this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This quote comes directly from Jesus after he tells his disciples that he is going to be crucified and tells them about the persecution they will face for continuing to believe in him after his death. Jesus himself says that in this life, we will have trouble, but he also promises that he has overcome the world and that he is with us, right? That's the last thing he says to his disciples before he departs earth. He says, surely I am with you until the very end of the age. So I think we can find comfort in that and lean into that truth that even though life is hard and full of hardships, God is with us in the midst of things. I think we can also be freed if instead of having to hang on to superstitions or explain away someone's tragedy or even our own tragedy, we can just sit with it. Sometimes, or maybe often, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you continue to be sick with a chronic illness even though you have prayed for healing for years, like me. Sometimes your loved one dies at a young age, or you even lose a baby. There is no order to the chaos in life except for God. Life is hard, but He is with us every step of the way. The world is full of trouble, but God has overcome the world. And it is in the quiet stillness that God urges us to sit with Him, to sit with our pain, our tragedy, our heaviness, our illness, our brokenness. And if we sit with Him in the stillness, if we don't push away our pain or hang on to superstitions to try and explain it away, He will answer us about our pain. And I believe that to be true. 
I will end this episode with a story that I feel captures the point I'm trying to make. After church one day, a friend of mine felt like she was supposed to pray for my healing. Usually, I shy away from having people pray for that because, honestly, it can feel disappointing because after so many times of having people pray, I'm still not healed. Or, you know, sometimes I would feel defeated by hearing pastors say that I don't have enough faith to be healed, and so I would just kind of shy away from people offering to pray for my healing. But that day, I agreed to let her pray for me. So we sat down in the foyer of our church, and she prayed with me for a long time. And I started to cry because I was just feeling so overwhelmed by the thought that God wasn't hearing my many, many, many prayers to be healed. And I remember thinking in my heart of hearts, God, I have waited so long for you to heal me. Then in that stillness, in that quiet, where I was honest with my pain, not trying to shove it down or explain it away with superstition, I heard God answer me. And he just said, I know, with all kindness and gentleness in his voice. And, you know, I wasn't healed that day. I know some of you may be wondering why God just didn't heal me in that moment. Why did he answer me but not heal me? And I don't have the answer for that. That is still a mystery that belongs to God right now. But I do know that after years and years of unanswered prayers, just feeling God acknowledge that I have been waiting for so long to be healed meant everything to me because it showed me that what He has promised is true, that He is always with me, even in the midst of my pain. And if I can't be healed on this side of eternity, I'm at least thankful that God has showed Himself to me time and time again, and He has never left me in the midst of my pain. And that is enough. It may not be what I want, but it is enough. So I'm going to end things here. But next week, I plan on diving deeper into the idea of healing and how it hasn't been handled in the best way by the church. I have more of my story I want to share and more wisdom from other pastors that have helped me wrestle with my chronic illness and desire to be healed. If this episode has been helpful to you, please share it with someone else that you think needs to hear this message. I know there are a lot of people who have been hurt by similar superstitions in the church, and so if you think that this story would comfort them or ease their mind, please share it along. And also, don't forget to rate and review my podcast from wherever you listen to podcasts, as this helps me spread my message to others who may need to hear it. As always, thank you so much for listening and spending just a small part of your day with me. I appreciate it so, so much. I'm your host, Nicole Porter. This has been another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast. And until next time. Thank you.